In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I have been half in love with easeful death, the poet John Keats wrote. I have been half in love with easeful death. It's a special pleasure today to give my first sermon in the state where I was born and raised. (laughs) It is an honor to speak to seminarians to whom we will entrust the future of the church if we choose to have a future. I am especially pleased to have a gospel lesson that speaks to a subject that is of central importance to us today, necrophilia. (laughs) Good, I'm glad you're a warm crowd. (laughs) It really helps when you're talking about kinks. I have been half in love with easeful death, called him by many a mused rhyme to take into the air my quiet breath. Now, 2017, seems it more rich than ever to die. Now, my concern isn't the sexual kink of intercourse with corpses. The psychoanalyst Eric Fromm said, that that particular sexual perversion is rooted in a deeper, much more widespread, and far more dangerous character disorder that is all too fond of death. Fromm called it characterological necrophilia. It corresponds to Freud's teaching that we are torn between the life force of eros and thanatos, the impulse toward death. My old Buddhist teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, called it setting sun mentality. He meant that when you look at a painting of a sun hanging halfway over the horizon, you see it as setting instead of rising. Let's see how that attitude of Thanatos, setting sun, plays out in our gospel. Jairus asked Jesus to heal his daughter. But the people at Jairus' house sent Jesus a message, she's already dead, we don't need you here. Despite them, Jesus insisted on going. And at the house, the mourners were weeping and wailing. Jesus said, she is not dead, she is only sleeping. Now there are linguistic clues that tell us when Jesus is using a figure of speech rather than speaking literally. And the best reading of this particular verse is that when Jesus says, she is not dead, she is sleeping, what he actually means is, she is not dead, she is sleeping. (laughs) Now, we might think that would be good news, but that is not how they took it. The old translation is stronger and more true to the Greek. It says, they laughed him to scorn. These mourners did not want Jesus raining any sunshine on the parade of their grief. Now, you may not believe this now, but after you've made a dozen death watches and visited your share of grieving families, you will see This is true. 
the friends and neighbors gather to offer consolation and sympathy. And that is a good and a holy thing that they are doing. But if you look a sixteenth of an inch behind their sorrowing features, you will see that there is something in them that is enjoying it a little too much. There is a seductive quality to grief. Perhaps some of you remember the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Has anybody seen that? Okay, good, good. Perhaps you will remember the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where Lancelot Squire has been shot by an arrow and Lancelot launches into an eloquent soliloquy about avenging his squire's death. But the squire interrupts, I'm not quite dead yet. (laughs) So Lancelot, a little off balance, shifts to vowing a vengeance, vowing to avenge his squire who lies mortally wounded. And the squire says, actually, I'm feeling much better. (laughs) Awkward. Cultural, the cultural love of death, according to Freud and Fromm, is the psychological breeding ground for racism, genocide, war, totalitarianism, and a plethora of social ills. You see, it is a short step from laughing the hopeful Jesus to scorn to nailing him to a cross. A cultural bias toward death leads us into deeply troubled political waters. Now, Christians, as followers of the Lord of life, the one who breathed life into Adam, the one who set before Israel the choice of life or death and commanded them to choose life, the one who sent his son so that believers should not perish but live. Christians Qua Christians are on the side of life. We are against death. And that makes our current ecclesiastical necrophilia so out of character. Academics, clergy, and church journalists are posting obituaries of the church on every doorpost. They persist, despite Robert Putnam's well-researched and well-argued book, American Grace, showing that all these grim statistics are frankly seriously misconstrued. They write books about the life cycles of congregations as if churches are all fated to die in a matter of decades. Though we all know full well that the world has churches that have been around for centuries having their ups and their downs, not determined by any deterministic timeline. There is a whole new clergy specialty in euthanizing congregations. I assure you, any fool can kill a church. (laughs) The art, the wisdom, and the grace are in stirring up the energies of life and mission more and more parish clergy are getting certified as hospice chaplains. Dispatching dying individuals is simpler than nurturing relationship with a living community. Now, ministry to the dying is a holy and worthy calling. But 
And this is my one simple appeal to you seminarians. If your basic clergy identity is Charon ferrying people across the river Styx, then be a hospice chaplain and stay away from the church. At least mine. (laughs) Don't need that kind of help. In Nevada, our our urban parishes, for the most part, are growing. Our rural parishes are holding steady, but demographically, they are getting younger every year. We are serving those in need, and we are aggressively engaged in broad-based community organizing for social justice, fighting important causes, and winning. I don't say this to brag, just to say that Deuteronomy is right, as between life and death, we get to choose. I know the plans I have for you, the Lord said to Jeremiah, plans to give you hope and a future. That's what God gives us. We decide whether to accept it. Perhaps we are half in love with easeful death, but Jesus calls us to life, abundant life. Now, if the church were just a social club and not the body of Christ, if the church were just a place we went because we wanted to get something out of it or were entertained by the ritual, then the continu- if we were not the continuing incarnation of love in a broken, bleeding world, then choosing to die needlessly might be our own business. But as it stands, we are feeding the characterological necrophilia the Thanatos syndrome, the setting sun mentality of our wider culture. And we're doing it at a time when racism, homophobia, xenophobia, warmongering, totalitarianism, and all the different symptoms and manifestations of death are running amok. A time when the environment that sustains life for everyone is under radical attack. We are not choosing death for the church alone, but for all the world, all those people that God loves so much, he gave his only son that they might live. So if you will indulge me, I will close with a gospel story, especially for you. There was an old man who loved his church, And this old man stopped Jesus on the road one day, and he said, My little church is near death. Come, lay hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus joined the old man, and they headed toward the church. But those who were keeping the death watch outside the church door sent a journalist to stop Jesus on the road. And he did. He handed Jesus' obituary. It was a printout from a popular blog post. You may have read it. And and, and he said to Jesus, do not come here. The church is already dead. We don't need you anymore. But Jesus kept on going. And outside the church door, 
He found some bishops, priests, and a few seminary professors. I don't know of any from this seminary, but a few of your colleagues, a few seminary professors, and they were all weeping and wailing that the church was dead. And Jesus said to them, Friends, don't cry. The church is not dead. She is only sleeping. But the bishops, the priests, and the seminary professors laughed Jesus to scorn. That's when Jesus looked a sixteenth of an inch behind their somewhat laughing, somewhat sorrowing faces and saw that something in them was enjoying the church's death a little too much. And Jesus turned his back on their self-indulgence. He marched into the church house, bold as brass, as if he owned the place, and he said, Talitha kum, talitha kum, talitha kum. <laughs>